There are things in this world that we cannot see, and there are creatures on this earth that have yet to be identified. The forest and the oceans and even many lakes are so vast and deep that there's no way we could possibly explore each and every square foot, much less each square mile. God? Angels? Ghosts? How about Bigfoot? Or even aliens? And what about Tessie, otherwise known as Lake Tahoe's very own lock monster? I myself am a skeptic at heart. Even my faith can be a daily struggle for me. But I know that there are people out there who truly believe that they have seen and experienced things that they cannot explain. Some of them who were skeptics just like myself before these things happened. So if they're not crazy, are they lying? Or are we humans, despite our grandiose egos, actually not as intelligent and as knowledgeable as we imagine ourselves to be? What if the people we sometimes view as crazy conspiracy theorists really aren't crazy? What if there really is a God with angels at his command? What if some of the people you know who've passed on haven't reached their final destination just yet? And what if many of those cryptid sightings weren't really bears or mangy dogs? Welcome to the fourth episode of Placer Unsolved. We asked listeners to submit their best angel, ghost, cryptid, or any other spooky stories they wanted to share for a fun October episode of Placer Unsolved. We will also have an interview with the Lake Tahoe fishing guide who's been running tours and fishing expeditions on the lake for more than two decades. He knows every part of Lake Tahoe, and he has had some interesting sightings and experiences both above and below the water. Is Tahoe's Tessie real? And if so, how old is it? And is there more than one? Before we get into our listener-submitted stories, I'd like to ask, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please be sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. Also, if you go to the Placer Unsolved website, You'll find photos and videos of spooky occurrences here in Placer County that didn't make it into this podcast because they were either too short or they weren't submitted in time. But the owners of these photos and video were kind enough to allow me to put them on our site to share with you all. I've also included some old photos of Placer County and shared the interesting stories behind them. The first story comes from Adam in Lincoln. Apparently, there are a lot of haunted areas in Old Auburn. There was a particularly active ghost in the Shanghai bar that would cause a ruckus if you spoke his name. It was actually against the rules to speak his name and hard to even find it out. 
My dad was finally able to get it out of one of the bartenders. His name was Sean O. And he had supposedly been an Irish miner. The next night, while my dad was at the bar, he called out the name, Sean O. The ceiling lights lit up like it was a movie, and the jukebox, which wasn't in use at the time, sprang to life. Its neon lights flashed multicolors while it rifled aimlessly through the entire record selection without actually selecting anything. It flashed a series of letters across the screen, which usually only displays numbers. Later, when they were remodeling the building to build the Auburn Ale House, the floor was dug out almost 20 feet down. A friend working on the job found a bunch of cool old bottles in both Chinese and American coins, as well as human bones. Across the street from where the old Shanghai bar used to sit is the California Club, where my dad and I have both tended bar at night. There are almost too many strange incidents to remember. One night, my dad was working, and he must have started to close up too early. He locked the door and went back to count his till for the night. Somebody that he could hear and feel but not see walked right past him and started rattling the door. His friend, who was a seasoned cab driver waiting to give him a ride home, saw it too and somehow knew that the entity was a female. She calmly told Dad, Unlock the door. This lady wants to get home. He did, and whoever was there left for the night. Another time, I was working and getting ready to close up when a blackout occurred. With no sound pollution present, I heard some crazy stuff in the bar and also coming from the empty room upstairs. Mostly busy footsteps. The only other person there decided to get brave and cussed at the ghosts. We then immediately heard a loud, distinct set of footprints stomp directly up to us and all of a sudden the lights of the dartboard and stage lights flashed on for a few seconds while the power to the rest of the building and town remained off. We both screamed like little girls. This is probably the closest I've been to personally witnessing any type of ghost activity. The Cali still occasionally gets mail addressed to random names that sound old and that nobody recognizes. But the last time anybody would have possibly been receiving mail there would have been in the early 60s when they still occasionally rented out the small upstairs rooms, which were originally the saloon girl rooms. This next story is from Bridget in Auburn. I grew up in Placer County. I'd had a couple of what might be supernatural or ghost experiences before this, and I've always considered myself open to the possibility of ghosts in a higher power. I've definitely wondered what happens to us once we're gone. My story took place at a home on Christian Valley Road in Auburn, California. My mother-in-law and her parents and siblings have lived on Christian Valley Road for probably a little over a hundred years now. Her great-grandfather built the house that my husband grew up in, and my in-laws still live in it today. About a year ago, they remodeled it into their dream home. Both my mother-in-law's great-aunt and her grandmother died peacefully in the home many years ago. My mother-in-law has told me stories about her sometimes hearing her name being called while she was in the home. 
So she would poke her head out of the room and ask, what? But when she did this, everyone who was in the other room would just look back at her puzzled and tell her that they hadn't called her. My husband also remembers seeing shadows here and there growing up. But I never experienced anything myself until one night about ten years ago when I was at the house alone with just my two boys. The oldest at the time was about three years old. We were watching TV, and I told my oldest that I was going to lay his brother down to sleep and to sit tight. I had most of the lights off in the house, but there was a little desk lamp that was on along with the TV. So I lay my son down to sleep in my in-law's bed, and while I was feeding him his bottle, I heard someone walking down the hallway. And then I heard a click, and the hall light came on. So of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, I told my oldest not to get up, and he did. I got up seconds after the hall light turned on and went back out to talk to him. As soon as I got out there, I saw him frozen in his chair. I asked him why he had gotten up and turned on the hall light, but as I was asking him this, I realized that all the lights were on. Every single one. Freaking out a bit, but as calmly as I could, I grabbed the boys and I went and sat outside and called my mother-in-law and told her what had happened. Because nothing like that has happened before or since, she thinks I may have brought something in with me. I guess it's possible, but I don't really know what it was. My in-laws still live there, and like I said, they haven't had anything happen since. I'm not uncomfortable or scared when I go over there. I love Christian Valley Road. I bet there's a ton of history there. It was just such a weird occurrence. This one's from Jen in Weimar. I hope this is an okay story to share here. It didn't happen in Placer County, but I do live in Placer County. And thankfully, nothing spooky has happened in my home here. About 20 years ago, I went back to visit my parents in North Carolina. At the time, they had lived in an unincorporated area of Raleigh. Their house wasn't that old. It was built in the 80s, I believe. The house was beautiful. It was white with black shutters. It had a long, wide front porch with ceiling fans. Lots of windows, and during Christmas time, every window had a wreath and a lit candle in it. It reminded me of a southern home you'd find in a Norman Rockwell print. When it snowed, you felt like you were in a movie. It was so beautiful. All the homes in the neighborhood were somewhat similar in style, and each one was on at least an acre. None of them had fences in between them. My parents had lived there for probably almost 10 years when I went with my brother during this visit, and we had both been there before at different times. This visit, we were there for one of the holidays, either Christmas or Thanksgiving. We both had jobs, so our visit wasn't long. We were only able to stay two or three days before it was time to head back to California. The way that the house was set up, my parents' room was downstairs on one side of the house, and on the other side of the house, there was a wide stairwell, maybe four to five feet wide, that went upstairs to a large open area that my parents were using as a workout room and a game room. At the top of these stairs to the left, separating the stairwell and the game room, 
was a wooden railing and a banister that was about three to four feet tall. On the other side of that railing was a couch that my brother had been sleeping on every night. So you could basically look over the back of the couch and see down the stairs. From where my brother was sleeping, you could see into the guest room where I was staying. From that couch to the guest bedroom bed where I was sleeping was only about 12 to 15 feet. The whole house, including the stairs, had hardwood floors. So on our last night there, I was still in California time and had been staying up till 2 or 3 in the morning watching TV every night. My brother and my parents were already in bed. It was about 2 a.m., and I remember I had been watching MTV that night. I turned off the TV and shut my eyes to go to sleep, and about two minutes later, I heard what sounded like boots coming up the stairs, which was so weird because I didn't remember my dad ever wearing boots. The footsteps were very even-paced, almost like a march, but going up the stairs. I was thinking, why is my dad wearing boots in the middle of the night? And why is he walking up the stairs without saying anything? The boots took about three to four steps, and then they stopped. I thought, I wonder what my dad is doing. This is so weird. But after a few seconds, the boots didn't take any more steps. I wanted to call out and ask my dad what he was doing, but then it started to occur to me that maybe this wasn't my dad. Maybe someone had broken into the house and was coming up the stairs. I waited as still as I could to see if this person would come the rest of the way up the stairs as I looked around the room to see if there was anything I could use as a weapon. All I could find was a ballpoint pen. What the heck was I going to do with a ballpoint pen? I wasn't the dang equalizer. I sat there wondering how I should get to my brother to wake him up, but I figured he was safe until I heard those footsteps coming up the stairs again. Was there any way I would be brave enough to yell for my dad and stepmom downstairs if this person continued to just sit in the stairwell? I didn't want to draw attention to myself if he didn't know we were up here. After a few more seconds of no footsteps, I started to wonder if I had just imagined the whole thing. I mean, not only had the footsteps just stopped in the middle of the stairs, whoever this was was wearing boots and not even attempting to walk quietly. What kind of an intruder is this loud and basically announces himself? While I sat there, still slightly paralyzed with anxiety, still trying to wrap my mind around what was going on, all of a sudden, I heard my brother from the other room say, Jen? Yes, I replied, as quietly as I could. What was that? he asked. Okay, clearly, I had not imagined this. It woke my brother up. I don't know, I answered back. My brother then ran into my room, and we proceeded to debate who should walk out to the top of the stairs and turn on the light. We finally decided both of us should go. We walked out slowly, as quietly as we could, practically holding each other while I clutched my pen. When we got to the landing, I quickly flipped on the light, and lo and behold, all the way down to the bottom of the stairs, there was nothing there. Nothing. Where had this person gone? If he had gone back down the stairs, we would have heard him. 
If he had come further up the stairs, we would have seen him. So where was he? It was right about then that I think my brother and I realized that it might not have been an intruder that we heard. We both stood there for a minute, puzzled. We wondered if it could have possibly been my dad playing a prank on us. A debate followed this discussion on who would go downstairs to my dad's room to wake him up. We again decided we'd both go and slowly made our trek down the stairs and through the dark living room to my dad's room. After visiting even a few times, we still had not learned where the lights were in the house. Surprisingly, I don't remember being as afraid walking through the dark living room as I was walking the short distance to the landing at the top of the stairs. Once we got to my parents' room, I was starting to feel foolish. Did my brother and I really hear those footsteps? There must have been a reasonable explanation for this that my brother and I just weren't thinking of in the middle of the night. Did I really want to wake up my dad for something that was probably nothing? My dad was clearly asleep. I could hear him snoring from behind the door. So I knocked. I knocked so lightly, neither parent heard me the first time. So I knocked again. This time from behind the door I heard, Yes? Hey, Dad, were you just walking up the stairs wearing boots a few minutes ago? There was a short pause. No. Okay, well, we just heard someone walking up the stairs. We both heard it, and it woke Mike up. Okay, I'll come out. Hold on. My dad proceeded to come out and search every square inch of that house. I think he searched twice because I insisted. He looked outside and found nothing. When he came back in, he set the house alarm and told us to go to bed. I told him that there was no way my brother and I imagined this and asked him if he would tell us if the house was haunted. He insisted the house was not haunted and that it was probably just someone walking across the back deck that we heard. Remember, none of the homes in the neighborhood had fences. But there was no way we heard the footsteps outside. These came from inside the house, on the stairs leading up to the game room. My dad, of course, was not convinced and told us again to go back to bed. My brother and I did not sleep well that night. I don't know about him, but I was up until at least 4 or 5 a.m. The next morning, I had to shower before we left, and I insisted that my brother sit in the bathroom with me once I got into the shower. There was no way I was going to wash my face, only to find some ghoul staring back at me when I opened my eyes. My parents have since moved from that house and still insist we heard someone walking across the back deck that night. Just recently, I decided to look up whether or not my parents' old house was anywhere near any of the old Civil War sites. And it turns out that they were right on the path of General Sherman's march through North Carolina. I've been wondering since I found that information if that is why the footsteps I heard were so even-paced and sounded almost like someone marching up the stairs. This story is from Aaron in Auburn. When we first bought our house in Auburn, we were unaware that it had previously been an assisted living home. Evidently, there were several deaths of elderly people over the years inside our home. 
During our first few months there, we had many strange experiences. Our two dogs and cat would act crazy for no apparent reason. The dog would bark at nothing, almost as if someone they didn't know was in the house. The cat would awaken from his normal laziness and take off running around the house. And the TV and stereo would suddenly turn on at full volume in the middle of the night. I'm guessing this could probably somehow be explained by electrical engineers who understand surges and dips in electricity. But the final incident would be more difficult to debunk. One night, we were awakened to our French doors swinging open violently. There was no wind to explain it. Not only was the door locked, but the right side door had an upper and lower jam lock that is very difficult to open with just your fingers. I usually have to use a rubber mallet to open and close them. My wife was totally freaked out, so she read about smudging and saging a house online. It's been years, and we're still in the same house, and we've never had another problem. Months after this happened, we found out from a neighbor that the previous owner was an alcoholic. One night she was swimming while she was drunk, and she drowned. I'm pretty sure her ghost was unsettled. This story is from Tammy in Lincoln. A house we lived in here in Lincoln had a little blonde girl that ran amok, playing up and down the hallway. I used to work graveyard and would get into bed by 8 a.m. every morning. Five out of seven nights a week, I'd be woken up by the sounds of someone little running up and down the hallway. It really creeped me out. I couldn't sleep. So I rearranged our bedroom so that I could see the door from my bed, hoping it wouldn't freak me out as much. Well, one night, super late, maybe around one or two in the morning, I heard someone walk into our room. When I opened my eyes, I saw a little girl standing at the side of my bed. I was so startled, my gasp woke up my husband. When he woke up, he said he thought he had just seen our youngest running out of the room. I asked him to go check on her, and when he came back, he said she was out cold. There was no way she made it back into bed and was out that quickly. We both kind of freaked out a little and tried to go back to sleep, when just a little while later, we were awakened again by a huge pile of blankets in our room that just fell over. Again, we both saw this little blonde girl running out of the room and down the hallway. We only lived in the house three or four years. And although that wasn't the main factor in moving, it definitely contributed toward our decision. We had several experiences over that three to four year period. One evening before we moved, I had a friend over and she said to me, Oh, I think one of your kids is home. I think I just heard them running down the hallway. I had to tell her, Nope, and explain to her what had been going on over the years. She thought that maybe something was attached to something we'd moved with and suggested that we say a prayer before we move so that whatever we were seeing and hearing would stay at the house. I was open to anything, so I tried it. We've been at our new house for five years now and haven't had anything happen since we've been here. So I guess it worked. The last house was built in 1983, so it wasn't that old. I did track down the original owners, and they told me they didn't know of anything that had happened in the home. 
No one had died, and they said they had never had any strange occurrences. I spoke to a neighbor to see if they knew of anything happening, but no one seemed to know of anything. My best guess is she probably came with something we brought, or was possibly there before the house was even built. This next one is also from Jen in Weimar, and it's about angels. My family and I took a cross-country trip in our RV a few years ago during the summer. We traveled through the south both directions, and on our way back, we stopped in an RV park somewhere in the northern part of Texas. I believe it was in or near Dallas, but I can't remember for sure. Anyone who's ever been in the south during the summer knows how absolutely miserable it can be for us wimpy Californians who aren't used to the humidity and the heat. My husband, three kids, and I had all just arrived at this RV park. My husband was getting our RV set up and situated when my boys and I decided to go to the pool to try and cool down. It turned out to be a small pool that wasn't very cool, and I was so hot and tired from the heat, all I could do was just sit on a lounge chair in the shade while my boys jumped and played in the pool. There was one other mother at the pool with two very small children. The oldest couldn't have been more than three years old. So she was in the shallow end with them and constantly focused on them and holding on to them if they weren't on the side or the steps. My boys were swimming all over the place as they're fair swimmers, and the chair I was sitting on was in front of the middle of the pool so I could watch them. We had been there for about 10 minutes when another mom with three kids showed up. Her oldest kids were a boy and a girl who were probably around 11 and 13, and her youngest was a boy who looked to be around 6 or 7. The mom immediately came and sat in a lounge chair next to me and then proceeded to get right onto her phone while her kids jumped into the pool and started to play. I do not judge her. We have all made mistakes as parents, and her oldest looked to be competent swimmers who were fully capable of watching their little brother. Everyone looked to be having fun in the pool, and I was completely focused on my own kids when I saw the mom sitting next to me jump up and yell to her oldest son to grab his little brother and bring him to the side. By the time they got him to the side and his mom grabbed him, the poor little guy was gagging and hacking until he started to cry, which was great. We were all relieved to hear him do that. I hadn't noticed this little boy drowning. He was not flailing and yelling like you see people do in the movies. He was right in front of me, and I didn't even see him, unable to stay afloat. Neither did his siblings, the other mom, or my boys. A little while later, this mom was still holding her little guy in a towel on her lap while we watched the other kids swimming. My boys and I were leaving to go back to our RV. And as I was walking by her, she said to me, Thank you for saying something. I would have never noticed he was drowning if you hadn't said something. I looked at her puzzled for a moment and said, I, I didn't say anything. I hadn't even noticed he was struggling until you jumped up and yelled. To which she replied, That is so weird. I heard a voice as clear as day say, Who's that little boy? And if I hadn't heard the question, I never would have looked up from my phone. I told her that was really strange and said, It must have been an angel. She looked at me still in shock and said, Yeah. I guess so. 
This last story is from Danny in Lincoln. When I was a kid, my family and I went to a quinceanera at the Veterans Hall right next to Photos Market in Lincoln, California. About three hours into the party, when it started getting late, a bunch of us kids headed outside while the adults stayed dancing and drinking inside. A couple hours after playing, we got bored, so we decided to start exploring. So we were walking around the back of the building and throwing sticks at each other, rough playing like all boys do. When suddenly my cousin points up and asks, who's that? On the second floor of the Civic Center, we all saw an old man. Bald with glasses, walk across the top floor, down the hallway. It wasn't too weird. We all thought it was just some guy working late at night. About six months later, my parents signed me up for basketball. The signups were held in that civic center. So when we got into the building, I immediately remembered the time we saw the old man upstairs. But as soon as we stepped inside, I saw it was just a big basketball court and venue, kind of like a high school gym. There was no second floor. I asked my mom if there had been some kind of construction or something recently. She said she'd played basketball there as a kid and there had never been a second floor. I don't know if we saw a man working on scaffolding in the middle of the night or if we saw a floating ghost, but I've never had an experience before that, and I've not had one since. Thank you to everyone who submitted stories. Again, a reminder, if you go to our website, placerunsolved.com, you can see spooky photos and video that weren't able to make it into the podcast this round. You can also see old photos of Placer County, along with some stories told about each of those photos. Still to this day, I don't go into water where I can't see the bottom. I don't know if that fear comes from watching Jaws one too many times as a child, or if it's just some innate fear of the unknown that I've never been able to conquer. Either way, I'm fine with the fear and probably actually need a desire to conquer it in order to overcome it of which I have absolutely none. Rationally, I know no one is ever killed by a monster in a lake, but that doesn't change the fact that I'd rather stay on shore and safely watch the bathers from the comfort of my folding chair. I have a friend who owns a fishing lure company who told me a while back he knew of a fishing guide who had a strange experience on Lake Tahoe and hasn't been in the water since. He told me this fishing guide had been running fishing trips and tours on Lake Tahoe for more than two decades, and had seen what he thought could be Tessie. So while I was preparing this podcast, I remembered this story and texted my friend to ask him if he thought this guy would be willing to talk to me about his possible Tessie experience on Lake Tahoe. Within an hour, I had the phone number of Gene St. Dennis and was looking forward to speaking with him. I called him a few days later, and he ended up being one of the most fascinating people I've ever spoken to. Along with being an accomplished fisherman, he's an avid outdoorsman and knows the Lake Tahoe area like the back of his hand. He's done thousands of dives in the lake, many of them at night. He's spent weeks out in the wilderness by himself and has some interesting stories to tell about all of it. It turns out his experience on Lake Tahoe didn't actually cause him to stay out of the water, and he's actually had more than one unexplained incident. But Mr. St. Dennis 
also has what could possibly be the best possible guess as to what Tessie is. Well, I've seen it a couple times out there um, over the years, and I'm not sure what it is. Uh, All I know is that it's bigger than my boat, and it moves through the water very efficiently. Um, It's a large aquatic creature, and uh, I I would have to say that uh, (laughs) it appeared to me that it's, it's been in the water a long time. I'll just tell you one time we were, um, we were coming across the lake and we thought we, there was an overturned uh, boat on the water. And so we went out to check it. We veered off to the side, changed course, you know, from our destination to see what it was, which happens a lot out on a lake of this size. You know, you'll check out things to make sure everything's okay. And uh, this thing went under the water and when it went under the water, its tail came up in the air. And we're talking about a tail at least around four feet in width. So, uh, and then we saw it on the fish finder underneath us as well. Um, the thing that I have saw is basically long um, and goes through the water very easily uh, and actually makes way, it actually makes a wake, you know, when it's going through the water, when it's breaking the surface. Uh, we were up on Cave Rock. Uh, having a um, lunch one day, and it was a very calm day, flat water, and there was nobody out on the on the lake. And um, we actually saw this creature. We were looking down directly down at Cave Rock at the marina there, at the boat dock, and we saw this thing come into and around and then go back out from the marina into the deep water. And you could see the outline of it, and then you could see where it was breaking the the, the surface. And we're talking like 15 feet minimum, 10, 15 feet minimum. And uh, this thing broke the surface of the water and then went out uh, and then and submerged and went deeper. And it had a, like a dark black, it's a dark black um, kind of gray blotchy um, structure, I'd say. But it's basically black, shiny, kind of like a seal's back. And toward the back, we thought we saw... Uh, I had a buddy with me, and we thought we saw a thick dorsal, short, thick dorsal fin way at the back, and maybe a little bit of a gray blotch in that area. But this thing was making way through the water effortlessly, and it to me it looked like it was hunting for rainbows or something, you know, some fish to eat. You know, that's why it came in along. It came in along and you know perfectly matched the contour of the of the breakwater and then went in the marina inlet and then, you know, the the launch inlet and then went back out. And, um, but anyhow, uh, we're not sure what in the hell this thing is. But some scientists evidently do have a theory as to what Tessie could be. This also happens to be Mr. St. Dennis's best guess as well. Here he goes into a little bit of why they believe this theory is possible. We really see fins, uh, you know, uh, looking at it from that angle. We can only see that short, thick dorsal fin we thought at the back, you know, at the very far rear of it. Um, the, they think the uh, UC Irvine scientists believe that a, um, it's po- possibly a, a large a landlocked sturgeon that's been in here. Um, it was connected to the, o- the lake was connected to the ocean for a million years at one time. And um, 
So, you know, you can <laughs> surmise what in the blue blazes has come and gone in here. He also believes that there are other possibilities as to Tessie's identity as well and explains why. Um, sturgeon can get up to 20 feet. Yeah, they can get up to 20, 25 feet. Uh, river sturgeons are, are 12 to 15 feet. Um, let me see. Uh, they're, they're, the thing is, <clears throat> there is the possibility that when the lake was connected to the ocean that we may have had something else come in here other than sturgeon, too. Um, they just described two large creatures, an Arctic shark and a Greenland shark, um, a couple years ago. And both of these fish can get up to 20 to 35 feet in length. Um, and they're very lethargic, you know, and they, they're dark on top. And they, uh, they basically, they come up to the surface once in a while, but they, um, they live on the bottom and they scavenge on things that sink down. You know, up in the northwest, that would be like caribou or, or a moose or, or, or something. And, but they follow the sturgeon and these Arctic sharks and Greenland sharks, they follow the salmon migration sometimes, which they obviously had here in Tahoe. And so that's how they would get, they've, they've actually gotten landlocked in some lakes, you know, when the water goes down after the salmon run. And um, so anyhow, that's, that's another possibility. I'm, I'm, we're thinking of things that we know of. Uh, it, with, with what I've seen of this thing, you know, a half dozen times, uh, I, it really, it'd really be tough for me to tell you exactly what it is. It, we would have to see it under optimum conditions, you know, um, AKA uh, underwater with some lighting, the thing, or if I saw it, if you saw it, per, the lake, when we dive, we can see 50 to 60 feet ourselves, you know, just like we are. And uh, the light goes down to about 150 on a clear, calm day, sunny, clear, sunny, calm day. And so you can really see things well, um, but I, I haven't seen anything that well. You know, it's all been a boom, there it is, and then, it whoosh, and then it's gone. Or we see it moving on the surface, and then we come close to it, and, and then it goes down. Um, but the only thing I can tell you is that, uh, um, you know, what what is it? The, usually it's the most obvious answer is generally the answer, you know. <laughs> I just have to say that it's probably you know, a large sturgeon, and they just keep growing, you know, I mean, those things are huge, and then um, they can get 20, 25 feet easy, the white sturgeon. Oh, my God, you're talking about something 500 to 1,000 years. Sturgeon, they live, they just, they live a long time. I would say at least 500 years for these guys. They live a long, long time. Yeah, and these Arctic sharks and these Greenland sharks uh, may be in the same category. Most of the times that we've seen this thing, uh, three or four times, well, four or five times that we saw it, we, it, it was long and, and, you know, we're talking three feet or so in diameter and 25, anywhere from 15 to 25 feet long in length. Usually, we usually see these things in the, in the, in the early morning. And uh, in the old days, before we had all this traffic, they would, after a fish plant, after they would plant the rainbows, we think they, they would come in on the rainbow plants and enjoy those. And um, they would usually be out on the water sleeping in the morning, right when the sun came up. And so you could kind of sneak up on them. What happens is canoes and kayaks get blown off the beaches, you know. And so you'll come out the next day and find them, and you'll bring them, you know, bring them to shore, or bring them back to, you know, you know, there's a kayak rental place there. You bring them back. But um, these things, we went over to check them out and bring them back in, and they went under. So obviously, those, I believe those are the same things that we saw 
you know, this thing that we saw earlier because they were similar in length and then they did the exact same thing, you know, they went underneath the water. I've seen it over by in front of Cave Rock um, a couple times, like I said, when they have fish plants and we believe they were that. I've seen it three times over in front of Cave Rock. Then one time we saw it out on the middle sleeping on top of the water, you know, early in the morning before everybody was out, sit up and that, that's when it flipped over and we saw the tail over by Cave Rock or over by um, um, Camp Richardson is when we saw those two um, on the surface of the water sunbathing rest or resting and then we went over to check them out and then they both went under and then there was one time over by um, um, Edgewood off of Edgewood golf course early in the morning there was one sleeping on top of the water then talking something sticking out of the water eight ten feet sticking out of the water Tell you one thing. At one time, I don't really talk about this too much. Um, one night we had been diving quite a bit. We'd been down for oh probably an hour, and uh, we decided to check this one last bay. And what we do is we dive, we dive, we dive at night, and we would look for uh, ecosystems come out at night. You know the fish, and they're much more relaxed, and and then uh, and then you can see a lot more. And then we use our lamps, and then we look for gear. And we get a lot of our fishing gear, and actually we found a couple outboard motors. And uh, anyhow, we find a lot of gear on the bottom. And and toward the uh, end of the month, you can actually come up with so much gear you don't need to buy any. And so anyhow, what I was doing is we were getting crawdads. We were filling up our little bag nuts with uh, crawdads so we could eat them. Um, and uh, so what you do is you dive down and you you go down and check check these sunken logs on the bottom, and you check underneath them with your hands. And then you pull out the, you know, scoot the crawdads out of there and get them. And uh, so anyhow, I, I, I singled, singled to my buddy that my buddy that uh, I signaled to him that I was going to drop down and he was going to go check out this other log. So he pointed over to the right and I pointed over to the left and we both went to check. And when I shined my light down to my the log, I wasn't shining to right at the log that I was diving down to. Um, uh, right yet because I was looking all around you know looking for something else or something better and then when I got about oh probably six feet from the log I shined the light down to it and the log exploded <laughs> it was one of those things sitting on the bottom sleeping and it looked just like a big old dark brown log on the bottom you know and um, so anyhow this scared the hell out of me up to the boat um, Mike said did you see that thing because this thing went right by him, you know, the thing that I startled with the head, with the, with the lamp I'm carrying in my hand. And uh, and so we decided, well, shit, we're going to go back down and see if we can see an outline of this thing in the sand. So we went back down in the sand, and sure as shooting, we saw the two big fins up in front where it was laying down, in two, you know, two big front fins, you know, the side fins on the bottom. And then we could see two little ends, like two little fins at the back, and then we could see where the big tail took the big swoosh, you know, when I startled it. And there was a big, uh, you know, like a hand scoop, a uh, big scoop of sand out of where the tail was, where I'd startled it. But you could plainly see the outline of this critter. And we're talking, you know, 12, 15 feet. It was twice the size of us, our, our you know, uh, head to fin, you know, you know, if we, you put us end to end, we, this thing was is bigger, bigger than us. I was going along. We'd already been in the water for a while, so we were kind of getting numb. Um, uh, everything's pretty clear in the water, and it just to me it looked like it just looked like another log on the bottom. You do. My I 100% assumed that it was another sunken log on the bottom. 
and I was going to go look for some crawdads and try and find me a nice 10-incher, you know. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell it was, but it easily could have been a sturgeon on the bottom because they do sit on the bottom. They're not air breathers, you know, so they can, you know, they can, they can rest on the bottom for any length of time that they wish. With the numerous sightings over the years, Mr. St. Dennis acknowledges that there can be optical illusions on the lake and that they are definitely a possibility for a good number of these sightings. He's even had them himself. And sometimes, uh, several years ago, we saw, well, I've seen this a few times, but several years ago we saw, like, um, this mama goose, and she had a whole bunch of little baby gooses behind her. And it looked like, you know, there was a serpent in the head out in front, and then there's a whole bunch of humps behind there. And, but it was just goslings, you know. It looked like a, a head sticking out of the water of a serpent and then a long serpent behind there. But it turned, you know, the, the optical illusion. But that's the kind of thing, you know. You see stuff out on the water all the time. You'll see, like I said, uh, the window come up and you'll see a branch kind of rotating over. So it'll look like a head comes out of the water, then it'll go back down. And, and that, that's just, you know, natural stuff. You know, because the lake is 99% pure. You know, there's very little plant life on the bottom. Yeah, so it's a lot of sand and gravel and drop-offs. And these drop-offs are voids that go into 1,000 feet. Of, you know, you'd be in 60 feet of water, you come up to a sand, you know, the edge of the sandbar and from the glacier, and it'll drop off into 1,000 feet of water, and your lamp just goes in. It's like space. Uh, the deepest part, 1648. is 22 miles long and uh, it, uh, 15, 16 miles wide at the top and 11 miles wide at the bottom. It's, 100, it's 72 miles in, in circumference. Average depth is 12 to 1,400 feet. It's basically like an ice chest, you know, rectangle in shape, steep on the sides, and it goes north to south, and it has a flat bottom that's uh, shallower at the south end, and then toward the north it gets deeper, and it, it actually has the deepest part is actually a hole in the northern part and that's 1648, and that's actually an orifice that uh, they believe goes down and feeds, uh, pressurizes the aquifer for northern Nevada. I've known about these creatures for a long time, hun, Paiutes and the Shoshone, and, and uh, they, they believe that this thing travels. It'll, it, it goes from watercourses and it uses the, the rivers and creeks connecting the, uh, you know, the, uh, the lakes. And, um, and it uses that and goes at night. And uh, so that, that's kind of interesting. The Indians have said that these things lived in Walker Lake and Lahontan Lake and Pyramid Lake as well as uh, Lake Tahoe and um, Donner Lake and Fallen Leaf Lake. So this thing, um, these, these things or whatever the Indians say, uh, they have seen them in all of those lakes. You know. I asked Mr. St. Dennis if there can be differences in color and even the body structure of a sturgeon. Here's what he had to say. Um, they're older than the dinosaurs, of course. And um, they, some of them have a, some of them are smooth on top. You know, like I was telling you, the, the smooth, uh, like a, a seal's back. And then others have a, they have a chunky uh, spine, almost like, it's almost like a miniature stegosaurus kind of chunky spine. There's a whole bunch of variation. These things, are that, that, they're all over the map on, on how they look. Since I had him on the phone, and with his being an avid outdoorsman who spent 68 days at a time out in the wilderness alone, I of course had to ask him if he's ever seen any evidence of Bigfoot. 
And we had a couple instances in the backcountry in the Sierras where we uh, um, uh, ran into something. I'm not quite sure what in the hell it is. That All I can tell you is both times the thing that stuck with us from start to finish and to this day is the smell. Uh, both times the smell was as strong as like a dead deer rotting on the side of the highway, but then add like extra sweetness, you know. And, and if you've ever been around deer or elk or bears or anything, you know about musk and, and how they, they smell. And um, there's a strong musk, um, sweet, skunky, kind of stinky, almost like a dead smell, and uh, very pungent. And uh, that's the first thing that hit us and the last thing that stayed in the air. What it is is there was something up above us on this cliff. We were on switchbacks and there was something on this cliff above us where there were no switchbacks and this thing was moving around up there. And uh, and then uh, the second time, oh, probably 20 years before that, we were hiking into a lake, I believe it was High Lake, I think Highland Lake, and uh, a very seldom used trail. And up in the thicket in the forest up in front of us, this thing was going through the forest. and. We could see it and we could share it. And my two buddies who are bigger than I am, um, I'm pretty good size and pretty good health, but these guys are like 6'2", you know. So they dropped their packs and went chasing after to see what the hell it was. This thing went through the forest like, you know, like a hot knife through butter. And both of my boys that are, you know, are very, very good, <laughs> you know, as far as outdoors goes, they looked like they were in quicksand trying to go through the forest after it. And, uh, and it was gone, you know. A huge thanks to Mr. Gene St. Dennis for taking the time away from his busy schedule to speak with me. If you're in the Tahoe area and looking for an interesting as well as very knowledgeable fishing charter guide, definitely look him up. And thanks again to all the listeners who submitted their spooky stories. Do not forget to go to our website and check out the photos and videos submitted by listeners, along with the old photos of Placer County as well.